This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we discuss Vanderbilt's Joseph Bullivus hitting yet again another game-winning field goal to defeat UConn by a final score of 30-28. to 28. This one was from 31 yards out. Last time against Colorado State, he hit one from 38 yards out. Big Leg Joe does it again, and Vanderbilt fans are able to exhale and enjoy a sigh of relief victory as they improve to 2-3 and three on the season with a matchup against Florida and the Swamp looming large. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 112. It is Monday, October 4th, 2021. We are, as always, powered by the great folks at Alaco Finewood Floors. Will Joseph Bullivis gets it done once again. Behind the leg of Big Leg Joe, <laughs> Vanderbilt defeats UConn 30-28. to 28. It was a 31-yard field goal. But my goodness, w- without him, not sure where this team would be right now. Of course, we'll give our three main takeaways. He was also SEC Special Teams Player of the Week. Uh, but, Will, just, uh, just a wild night at, at Dudley. This is probably the toughest reaction podcast we have ever had, Billy, because about five, six minutes left in the game, I was ready to come on here with a kind of optimism coming in, uh, you know, up 11 points, feeling feeling pretty good. Not good, but, you know, you came out, you didn't perform great, but you proved that you were the more talented team and kind of wore them down throughout the game. And then everything fell apart in that last six-minute stretch. Not that everything was perfect beforehand, certainly not, and we'll get into that when we get into our keys of the game and kind of the recap here. But it's hard to balance the negativity that has to be put on this team and on this staff from this game that was some horrible execution and play calling and also balance that with the fact that this offense led them down the field in a minute seven with two timeouts. Yeah. Granted, some of that was on some dumb plays by UConn and or questionable pass interference calls. Yeah. But he led him down. Ken Seals and crew led led this team down the field for the win and set up big leg Joe uh, for the 31-yard field goal for the win. So you have to balance because, you know, a year ago there were no wins, and a year before that you lost to UNLV at home, right. which I don't think that UNLV team was much more talented than this UConn team. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a tough challenge for us balancing the positives and the negatives in this pod. Yeah, and I think we knew that coming into this pod right after mm-hmm. that UConn win. Uh, I gave you a call and we were just kind of trying to figure out how to process this, this win. Uh, but we will dive. We'll do our best to dive into this wild night at, at Dudley. Again, Bullivis uh, gets the win for the Commodores. The team, of course, got the win. But boy, is Bullivis a massive part of that. Uh, and we'll just we'll touch on next week a, t- a tad. Florida has opened as a 38 point favorite over the Commodores. So uh, that's even bigger, I think, than the, uh, the Georgia line last week. So um, or two weeks ago. So we'll, we'll dive into that. But before we recap UConn, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's recap UConn. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Alumni Hall is the go-to shopping destination for Vanderbilt gear. Stop into their Brentwood location at the Hill Center or shop online at alumnihall.com forward slash Vanderbilt dash Commodores. A special 10% discount is awarded to students and military members. Plus, all year round, Alumni Hall carries brands like Nike, Johnny O, Champion, Yeti, and much more. 
Even better, with an excellent selection of women's fashion, Alumni Hall is the one-stop shop for the whole family. Help support Vanderbilt Athletics by purchasing your black and gold gear from the Alumni Hall. Stop by their store in Brentwood at the Hill Center or log on to alumnihall.com forward slash Vanderbilt dash Commodores. All right, well, uh, again, Alumni Hall, this is our second sort of promo with them. Again, they will uh, be giving us a new one here for our, for our second one. But uh, just real quick here on Alumni Hall, they opened their doors for the first time in 2006. It was just a small store with a big idea that, uh, to offer the ultimate shopping experience and a unique selection of clothing and merchandise for the entire family. And now they've grown to become the hometown college store for some of the greatest fan bases in the country. And uh, they know that being a student, alumni, or fan is not just for game day. At Alumni Hall, they make it part of every day. So, uh, of course, always uh, excited for, for more promotions with Alumni Hall. But, Will, let's, uh, let's keep rolling here. UConn, Vanderbilt gets it done 30-28 to 28 behind the leg of Joseph Bullivis as time expired. And I think Max Worship said it best after the game. He said, in quote, his name is Big Leg Joe. He's going to make it every time he's built for those moments. And I thought, I mean, I love how this team has, a, has kind of grabbed on to that nickname and I'm not going to, th- this was, uh, I'll start with giving the credit to Casey Stangle after the Colorado state game. Cause I think she kind of uh, began this trend and she kind of tweeted out the hashtag. Um, and then, you know, we hopped onto it. Why not? I mean, that's, that's just perfect. I'm going to, I'm going to say that she started it, but we got to yes. take some credit for this Billy. We really got this going. Now it's big leg Joe, but she started. It, I, <laughs> I think, say. I think we kind of kept adding some, uh, some fuel to the fire after it. Yeah. And now he does it again. And, and she it's... started the fire and we just helped with an extra can of gasoline on top yeah. of there to get it, get it across the fan base. Yeah. So, so it's just an awesome moment again. I mean, for that kid, he's, He's been through a lot in Alabama, and he, he's done it again. And so uh, eight-game losing streak snapped at home, Will, which I think that is something that some people are kind of, uh, you know, passing by. But that was a, that's a big streak to be broken. So, uh, Will, but we're going to try to ride the line as best we can here. That game was, was, was really, really bad in, in, at some moments. Um, and I think, I think it just kind of slipped away from this team. You know, you mentioned there was a swing there from Gabe Judy Lolly after his interception, and then Vanderbilt goes down and scores, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they kind of – it seemed like they had taken control of the game. And you thought, hey, maybe another turnover defensively or another stop and a score, UConn may just kind of send it in. But they didn't. And give credit to UConn and Coach Spanos. Uh, they, did, they did a hell of a job coming back. So, well – We'll go through a lot of this, but initially, um, you know, just kind of your initial thoughts. And I know there's a lot here, but um, just do your best. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have a lot in, in my three main takeaways and keys moving forward. So I'm going to try to get the overarching my thoughts on the game, because unfortunately, the site that I use, SEC StatCat, I'll keep plugging him. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll sponsor us at some point. <laughs> um, but he, he goes through each each of the offensive plays and and. But he charts every single play and every single drive and the percentages that I've been saying of inside zone read plays, including the pre included in the preview for UConn is from that site. So and he drops those on Tuesdays and we're recording this on Monday. We're trying to get these recaps out a little bit quicker in reactions. But Ken Seals led this team down. I'm going to start on the positives for him, led this team down with a minute seven mm-hmm. down one yep. with a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And he converted a fourth and four to Devin Body Jr. That I think that play is getting overlooked because yeah. um, that was a massive moment in that game and a huge spot for Devin Body Jr. to not just come through and make the catch and convert and move the chains, but move the ball about 15, 20 yards down the field and set him up for that field goal in an incredible spot. And then, of course, the Chris Pierce pass interference that we might be a little questionable, but Vanderbilt's been on the wrong side of those a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to roll with it. Um, <laughs> And that's a tough spot to be in no matter who you're playing. And people are going to demean this win, and I did it in the preview, um, which is why I'm going to be pretty negative in my takeaways, that it's against UConn, and this UConn team is bad. But that's a tough spot no matter what team you're playing. Right. And this UConn team showed a lot of fight against an undefeated Wyoming team the week previously yeah, uh, and, and lost just on not converting that two-point conversion falling 24-22. Mm-hmm. to 22. And this Wyoming team the previous week had beat another FBS opponent, Ball State, 45 to 12. So that Wyoming team is good, or not even if they're not good, they're at least a talented enough team at that level. But UConn is trending up. 
Um, they're not going to be one of the most historically bad teams in the history of college football like they were through the first four weeks. And I think their coach long tenured leaving at that time was probably the best thing for that program. Right. But back to Vanderbilt, why that I'm kind of discussing why you can still take some positives. Here. Yes, yes. Second positive. And the second positive. Here we go. Big leg Joe, I can't get over how amazing it is to have a kicker that it feels like inside of 40 is actually going to be able to convert. And props to Clark Lee at the end of that game. I hate settling for the field goal in that situation. You had 14 seconds. You had a timeout. You probably could have taken a shot or two to the end zone. But he knew what Joseph Bolivis wanted, where he wanted that ball, that his ball tails off left when he misses kicks. And he spoke with his player, trusted his kicker, put him into a position to succeed, and the player succeeded and made that game-winning kick in a clutch situation. Mm -hmm. So I want to, as much as I'm going to criticize some of the things that Clark Lee did and the takeaways, I want to applaud him for trusting his player and Joseph Bolivis coming through because that was something that I questioned and I want to say when I'm wrong. I've been wrong twice. He has trusted Joseph Bolivis <laughs> and not taking the shot to the end zone set up for the field goal, and it's worked out. So props to, props to him. Because yep. I don't believe that last season those two games would have been victories. And Commodore fans need to take a step back. This team did not win a single game last season. I know it was all SEC, but we didn't get to leave a stadium saying we won this game and we have a win in the win column. Mm -hmm. One time. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, this team went 3-9. and nine. So I think we need to take a step back as to the fact that this is going to be a long road. And just take the win, learn from it, but it is always better to learn from an ugly win than to learn from the prettiest loss, Billy. And I think that's my main takeaway is taking a step back 24 hours after my initial anger at some of the things that happened. Is <laughs> It is great to see two and three and not one and four with the yes. loss to UConn there. Yes, so it is. That's always a positive to point yeah. to. And before I get to uh, my, you know, we still have our three main takeaways to get to, but mm -hmm. initially, Will, um, I was only able to watch the fourth quarter, uh, but I was able to go back and watch most of the first three quarters. And, and initially, I, I think to me, the receiving core stood out. Um, I thought, you know, I know UConn's defense isn't murderer's row. Uh, they finally <laughs> dominate. But this Vanderbilt receiving core dominated their opponent and consistently played their potential, finally. And we had been kind of, you know, hampering on that for a while, leading into every game, and they finally were able to do that. Now, I know they played well against Colorado State. Uh, you know, you saw a few things against Stanford, but I think in this UConn game, you saw what this, this core is capable of. Now, I'm still a little confused as to why Cam Johnson isn't receiving more touches. Not even, one target the entire game. Yeah, not even on the stat sheet. No catches. And I know he had that one late where he was out of bounds. Um, that was his only target the entire yeah, game. Yeah, um, but I, I, you'd like to think defenses are keying on him and, and seeing, singling him out because they know what he's capable of. And because of that, it's opened up more opportunities for Shepard and Pierce and, and even Devin Body. So, I, you know, I've, getting, I've got a lot of questions about Cam Johnson. And for me, I'm like, Look, I think for defenses, it's not difficult to key on a slot guy. You know, I think it would be more difficult for them to, if they want to lock down Chris Pierce, you know, that might be a little bit more difficult. But for a slot receiver and a lot of these zone defenses that, that they're able to play, you know, I'm not saying Cam Johnson has not been, you know, doing a good enough job of getting open. I think it's just more of how these defenses are, are approaching him. So that was, um, that was kind of my approach to Cam Johnson. I thought initially receiving core stand out, but will. A little bit more on the negative side, the secondary uh, had some issues uh, against UConn, and and I think that was that was pretty glaring because UConn, you know, coming into this game, we didn't expect a, a ton from their offense, uh, but their quarterback Krajewski, you could argue, carved up Vanderbilt's secondary. I mean, he threw for what 270 yards almost, and um, you know, well, I mean, Krajewski is a guy that you know was somewhat unproven, but he comes into this game and and he he d tears up Vanderbilt's secondary. So, but. I go back to the fact that this position was hit the hardest in the transfer portal after last season. I'm not, I'm not making this as an excuse for that group, but, you know, kind of stating the fact Donovan Kaufman, he's now starting at Auburn. Tay Daly, he's now starting at Virginia Tech. Elijah Hamilton, he's now starting at Louisiana Tech. And all three of those guys would have started this season. I'm not saying that would make up. That's for... not even including Dimitri Moore's departure. Exactly. That yeah, would have Dimitri been in Moore. that linebacking core. Yeah, and so this defense, like most of this team, is, de is, de is depleted. You know, th there's a lack of depth at most positions. But I think this secondary position has de has been hit the hardest. And, Will, I go back to Gabe Judy Lolly's interception. And 
that kind of, I'm not going to say evens out his performance for me, but that was a hell of a catch. You got to give credit to the guy. Uh, and Clark Lee even said, you know, he has a lot to clean up in his coverage still. Uh, and, you know, that was pretty noticeable. But also, how about Clark going full football guy mode and headbutting <laughs> Judy Lolly after that? And, he, and then the TV cameras caught everything. He realized it might have actually hurt him. And he started, <laughs> he started feeling his head. So that was we, – we tweeted it out. But, uh, man, that, that's – I think Clark, that's kind of him saying, yeah, that's, that's still kind of the physicality in me and still being able to relate to those guys. I thought that was hilarious. This was the first, this was by far the most emotional we've seen Clark Lee on yes. the sideline. This is the first time we've seen he's broken that stoic Bill Belichick sideline presence. And I thought his press conference was really great and he had some good quotes after and you could see the emotion and relief on his face, even though there was an understanding that this was a disappointing performance. Yes. You could see it during the press conference that this win means a lot, and this season could easily be 0-5 right now mm -hmm. with losses to UConn, Colorado State, and ETSU regardless on that list. Mm -hmm. And they, you could easily be there without some resiliency and toughness from these guys, which I do want to commend, even though the talent level is low. These guys play hard. And yeah. Clark Lee had a good quote in his press conference when asking about this win, and he said they were shedding the past and stepping into the future, and, mm -hmm. it's, a pain, and it's a painful process. And I think they've completely just decided we are going to move in this direction, completely reshaping how we play defense and offense and scheme. And I've been critical of their rigidity and how rigid mm -hmm. they've been with their game plan. But I think that there's a balance to be struck there between we want to do this and move forward, but also we need to play to the strengths of this team. Right. And I still think moving into our takeaways here pretty soon, mm -hmm. that there, there's some things that really need to change as far as utilizing the talent that is actually on this roster, even though they have had some key departures and, and some positions that are outmatched. Yeah, and the position I was just talking about was the secondary position, and we will get to the takeaways, but I was just mm -hmm. going to finish with, um, you know, there's just very little depth at that position specifically, mm -hmm. and there's it, it's added pressure on guys like Mahoney and, and Brendan Harris to where they may feel like they have to make every single play that comes to them. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of the pressure that's on them, and I'm not putting, you know, obviously Alan George and, and you know, Judy Lolly are in tough spots right now, but uh, they're going to be a, a key to watch uh, throughout the rest of the season. But, Will, let's get into the three main takeaways here. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'll am I'm start off positive. I, I know you have three negatives. I have one positive, two negatives. Um, but well, I did, I, I, I did have one positive, two negatives, but yes. your positive was the same as my positive. So let's not say I was going to be all negative. Here, no. but now it's going to be all negative. Yes. Thanks, from Billy. Here, from here on out. But uh, I'll start with uh, Big Leg Joe. Joseph Bullivis, <laughs> uh, two-time SEC Special Teams Player of the Week. Will, you could very well argue without him, this team – could very well be winless. Um, and I think for Clark Lee, that was the, he was the best pickup in the offseason in my mind. Here's why. And the most important, because with everything that went on in the kicking game last season, and we don't even need to talk about it, but he made sure he went out and got a competent kicker that was going to consistently hit kicks inside 30 and even inside 40. We haven't seen inside, um, you know, over 40 yet. I think it was 38 against Colorado State, but He's capable of making big-time kicks, and that's what this team desperately needed. And Clark made sure that he went out and got that guy, and it's paid off. And, and I think for Clark, he's going he's gonna to kind of go back to that decision and thank his, his ingenuity and, and kind of his, you know, his initial reaction to what happened last season. He, he wanted to do that. So for Bulovus, I can't get enough, give enough credit to the guy. I mean, he won this game, and he's my main takeaway. And – you know, if he does it again, he'll be, uh, he'll be my main takeaway again. He just keeps getting it done. Um, so for me, Joseph Bulovis, he just, he never, he never lets, lets Vanderbilt fans down. Um, I know he did met, he has missed a couple, uh, I think, um, you know, from, from pretty long range, but any chance he's gotten to, to win the game, he's hit it. And uh, boy, it can't, he, his efforts can't be praised enough. So that's my B first big positive leg, yeah. takeaway. Big leg Joe, I think is a great nickname, but what I want his nickname to be, is Big Dick Joe. Um, and I think that our, <laughs> one of our writers, Jacob Scholl, tweeted out that one. If we have an opportunity for an NIL deal to have Joseph Bolivis, I don't know how the back end of that works and we can make some Big Dick Joe t-shirts. I'm not sure <laughs> Vanderbilt University would uh, approve of those t-shirts, but... Well, I think I, Joe would approve of it. I think yeah, a lot I think, of people I think would he would. But it, it's the funniest thing to me is 
me and my dad have talked about for years that especially with this new graduate transfer portal and now everyone has a has a one free yeah. transfer um, with no penalty is Vanderbilt with this grad transfer should probably always be bringing in a really solid kicker and a really solid punter mm -hmm. because you can come in get free graduate school at Vanderbilt after completing your undergrad and play special teams and a lot of times those guys it's just it's it's a lot more plug and play at yeah. kicker and punter you're doing the same thing regardless i know you have to cover it differently if it's a punter mm -hmm. but it's plug and play right. and it's always funny to me thinking about joseph bolivis coming from the pressure of alabama and he comes to vanderbilt thinking all right i'm not going to be in too many pressure situations with a lot riding on it and then he's placed in two games this season with game on the line field goals with nearly <laughs> no time remaining walk-off field goals so he left alabama probably thinking it's going to be a little bit more relaxed and not as many eyes on me. And then he's immediately placed two out of the first five weeks in pressure game winning game win or lose situations. So I, I think it's hilarious. on that. I think it's hilarious how a lot of Alabama fans are quote tweeting um, the, his game winning kick. And they're like, they, they didn't, they don't know how to react. They're like, <laughs> Oh, we had him last year. He missed some kicks, but man, he's looking good at Vandy. It's been interesting from Alabama fans perspective and, and the respect that they do still have for the guy. I mean, he, he hit a lot of big kicks. He missed a lot of big kicks there too, but he, I mean, he, 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 he is what he is right now. And he's, he's, he's carrying Vandy. You could argue. So for me, he's my number one takeaway. Will. I know yeah, you, uh, you go. got to get to yours. So the, the mood of this podcast is about to shift drastically. And, and this may be some of the keys that if you think differently, Billy, go ahead. These may be some of the first times on this podcast that we're going to disagree. Um, cause I have some pretty strong opinions coming out of this win. That's happened before, but we'll it has. This, this may be some of the more dramatic disagreements yeah. that we've had. Uh, the offense as good as those final statistics were, was terrible. Um, I, I know I, I watched Chris Lee's live reaction. I believe he gave the offense a B minus and he gave the defense a D. Mm -hmm. I agree with his defense. I give the offense probably a D plus, um, because it, it wasn't the final statistics. Yes. They put up good numbers. There were a ton of missed opportunities in that game. There were a minimum of five times and I need to go back through and I didn't have time leading up, but go back through and specifically time of each one that happened. Mm -hmm. um, there were multiple times Ken Seals missed completely wide open receivers that cost this team 15 plus yards minimum and on some of them touchdowns. One to point to is the double move by Will Shepard on the outside of the field. He completely broke the cornerback's ankles on that double move and Ken Seals had already launched the ball out of bounds with no pressure in his face. And Will Shepard was running, running wide open into the end zone. Mm -hmm. And that's 100% on Ken Seals not having pocket presence that mm -hmm. I felt like he had at some points last right. season and, and some points throughout the year. And a lot of that is just used to having pressure in his face from that offensive line that he didn't have this game against UConn. He didn't need to speed up that play. He had time back there. And there were a few where he threw it to a receiver on one of those stop timing routes when Rocco Griffin leaked out of the backfield after kind of chip blocking and leaked out and, and ran kind of an out route towards the sideline two separate times during this game, I believe, but one in particular where there was nobody from UConn even on that side of the field mm -hmm. and he just missed him. And there were guys on drag routes and corner routes where there were multiple times I was in the stands. I sit in uh, the end zone of that, of that mm -hmm. U shaped horseshoe where you're kind of watching the, you have no idea how far down the field the guys are right. uh, going towards the scoreboard but you can really see the play develop from the perspective mm -hmm. of the quarterback. And I don't know if it's how this offense is run because my key one is seals execution slash offensive play calling, because I think some of it is on seals and some of it is what they're making him do. And I don't know if it's, he's going one read throw or throw away. And these other things are just kind of decoys, or if he's actually just not going through his reads, I don't know what he's being told by the coaches because it seems like he's going to one read maybe a dump off read and then it's throwaway. And that might just be because they don't have faith this offensive line can hold up through multiple layered read systems. But the offensive play calling specifically looks like they're still not working the middle of the field between the backers and safeties. Everything is these long outside the hash throws where you're throwing the ball airtime 25 yards, but you're only really throwing the ball down the field two or three yards. And that's tough for Seals to execute. Maybe that's because he's turnover prone. We've seen that in the past middle of the field. A lot of times is where those turnovers happen, not seeing guys shift down. But that's still something I want to see throughout the year because you're not going to, to be able to move the ball against an SEC opponent without working the middle of the field. And you see that with some of the things that Mississippi State does in a kind of an undermatched mm -hmm. offensive, offensive line and undermatched as far as athletes are concerned. But they complete a ton of passes. 
And there's a lot of easy completions to get playmakers out there. Devin Body Jr. showed me a lot in this game coming through mm -hmm. in a lot of key situations. But it was a lot of very complacent play calling, Billy. And I think we talked about it specifically beforehand. We wanted to see some wrinkles and some new things brought out. And one of the worst, and I think you'll remember this if you went back through and watched, one of the two worst sequences of offensive play calling was Ken Seals. We were in the red zone first and goal, and they ran him on a quarterback keeper to the right, stuffed. Again, did it on second down, mm -hmm. stuffed. When you have Mike Wright sitting over there on that sideline that is literally built for that situation, perfect. You could not breed a quarterback more perfectly fit for that play call on your sideline and perfectly built for red zone packages. And you run it with your quarterback that that is not his skill set. That, and that's that exactly is when what, I got infuriated. Yeah, that's exactly what we had been talking about. I mean, we would like, we would, we don't mind seeing uh, Mike Wright in those type of packages, but you know, when you, when you have Ken Seals out there and you're running the, the plays seemingly that that were designed for Mike Wright, it's kind of mind boggling. So I'm right with you there. Will. Uh, as much as Ken Seals stats uh, looked, you know, pretty damn good. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm completely with you on some of his missed throws and those missed opportunities because this game could have gotten out of hand in Vanderbilt's favor. Uh, but, you know, whether it's offensive play calling or Ken Seals missing receivers, uh, they, they just weren't able to do that. So uh, I, I'm completely with you there. But my number two takeaway, Will, is Vanderbilt's ability to uh, th their inability rather to finish game strong. And I, I don't think this team has developed that killer instinct yet. And, and yes, you know, you can argue this is team one and this is uh, a young team and they're still in the process of that. Uh, but against the UConn team, I think this was a good opportunity for them to show that and for them to show, Hey, we can beat an inferior opponent by a score or two. I mean, they beat them by two points. Uh, so I think that showed us that this team is still far down the road of, of kind of dominating an opponent, you know, and taking the fight to the opponent. And, you know, neither wins realistically, Will, if you go back and think about them, they shouldn't have come down to a game-winning field goals. You know, Vanderbilt, I think, should have beaten Colorado State. They could have beaten it by a touchdown or more. I think they could have beaten UConn by two touchdowns. Uh, and I think most guys in that locker room would agree with me, you know, that they, they, they've left some points out on the field. And, yes, they never gave up. They, they didn't, you know, they kept fighting. But I still think Coach Lee, he's – he's still working on trying to get these guys dialed in through all four quarters and still trying to shake some of that, um, you know, Derek Mason skin off of them and, and saying, Hey, this is team one. I'm your head coach. I'm Clark Lee. This is how we're doing things. And, you know, it's just, it's a, it's all about changing the culture and, and, and it's tough in year one, but until this team finds that ability to finish those games, getting their first SEC win is going to be tough and, and it's going to be, it's tough to find right now, the way they're, the way they played against UConn, I don't see them beating another SEC team, but if they can shore some of this stuff up and find a way to dominate their opponent for four quarters, I think it could happen. Uh, but until I see that, I doubt it. Um, so that's where I'm at with this team. Will. they just, you know, they lack that killer instinct. And we saw that with a lot of Franklin teams where they would just, they would find a way to finish it strong. And so finding that ability um, it, it, it's always tough, but when you do, uh, it, it, you, they'll be rewarded. So uh, this team is just, they, they don't quite, I hate saying they don't know how to win, but I, I would preface that to say they don't, they don't know how to win with authority yet. You know, they don't know how to know how to dominate the scoreboard, I guess. Yeah, I'd take your key too even a step further because I agree with it. But this team just doesn't know how to be consistent. They're very streaky. They're very up and down. And is ironic as that is, the actual personality of this team doesn't feel that way. The personality of the team does not feel very up and down. Clark Lee doesn't feel like he It feels very... Yeah, straight middle. line. It, that, that is what my, my high school coach always said, back to the middle. You know, mm -hmm. don't get too high, don't get too low. That's when bad things happen. But on the field, it, it feels like, and it's the same thing with Ken Seals, one bad drive leads to a second bad drive. One bad defensive play leads to a second bad defensive play. You saw that on the UConn scoring drive there at the end of the game is the one fourth and 18 play that should have ended the game, basically, that both players for Vanderbilt went for the interception and it was fourth and 18. You've got to be aware of that situation. Just knock the ball down and the UConn player made a miraculous reception. But it's and then that led and then from that play, then next play, UConn runs the ball for a 10 yard gain. And the next play, the quarterback scrambles on a passing play yeah. and scores a touchdown. Yeah. So that one right there, it, it, one thing leads to another. And it, it kind of leads to my second key, which is yeah. defensive line and secondary was really bad. And, yeah. and the secondary hasn't been as bad 
throughout the season as the defensive line has been consistently, but I think that's almost been because teams have been just attacking the defensive line. Alex Williams actually looked like he was wreaking a little bit of havoc in that backfield. I want to see more out of him, but overall the defensive line still is not getting consistent pressure on the quarterback. It's probably just, they don't have the guys. This is one of my things. That's not necessarily a criticism of Clark Lee. It seems like that defense a lot of times is in relatively the right spots outside of our complaints about the play action to the tight end game that we didn't see a ton out of UConn. Um, but the defense is in the right spots. The dudes, they just don't have the guys. It's the, this isn't the X's and those at this point, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's as much as my key number three, after we get to yours, Billy is going to be about those X's and those, not the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Yes. And, uh, we, I think, I feel like that, that, uh, that, uh, theme is mentioned every, every podcast. I I love it. Um, well, I've been waiting to say this and I tweeted about this for my last key. Uh, and you touched on it a little bit, uh, at, at the beginning, but, after this game, all I could think about was how much this win means in that locker room and how much it means inside the doors of, of Vanderbilt's football facility. Um, and, you know, all, all week leading up to this game, all you heard was jokes being thrown at this team. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you heard, you've, you're going to hear it the rest of the season. I mean, until Vanderbilt makes a, a conscious decision, I don't even know if it's a conscious decision, but until Vanderbilt, I think, beats an SEC team, uh, you know, you'll be hearing that. And, I, I you know, I just think outside opinions are really beginning to not not shape this team and their identity. Yes. I think Clark Lee is doing a great job of of blinding them. And, you know, we saw at least later in Coach Mason's tenure, you could kind of feel that happening. You could feel the the outside opinions getting to that team. And now I can't imagine how tough it is for Clark Lee to try to do that. And and you're literally stripping these guys of, of everything they've been taught the past seven years now, you know, four or five years for most guys, of course, but under, under coach Mason and, you know, Bill Parcells, uh, you know, has an interesting quote. He said, you are what your record says you are. And I, I'm a big believer in that. I always have mm-hmm. been, uh, they're two and three. They're, they're slightly below average right now. And, and not, yes, they, they've beaten Colorado state barely. They've beaten Yukon barely, but you are what your record says you are. And, and I've always loved that quote. Um, and they're two and three. And I think in uh, in Mason's uh, Mason's first few years, he's he was bowl eligible. Uh, they started two and four, especially I think in Franklin. Uh, Bruno Reagan had a great tweet. Franklin, they started uh, two and four. They didn't have the best starts to the season. I'm not pointing to that as if this team is going to be bowl eligible, but right now where this team is, they're two and three. Um, and will I just think it can't meet enough to this locker room and the fact that they got it done. They found a way to beat an FBS opponent. And yes, it's UConn but that shouldn't matter. And I don't think it matters in that locker room. Now, I think the next step though, in that process, Will, I think you agree with me is, you know, realizing kind of having that awareness of, yes, you're playing UConn, you should beat them. But right now where this team is, they're just not there yet. They're not there yet. You know, they're not, um, if they beat an SEC team this year, you know, they deserve to celebrate to the heavens. But, you know, if that doesn't happen and, you know, likely won't, Right now, they're celebrating any win they can get. So uh, that's where I'm at with this team, Will. And, and you know, as negative as, as the game was, and, and there's still so much to clean up for this team, um, they took another small step, and that means something. Yeah, that's, that's a great Bill Parcells quote right there because that's, that's what we always hit on, and that's what we, we always try to do takeaways from this, whether it's wins or losses. But at the end of the day, it's a wins when they don't rank teams by their average point differential. That's not how standings work. You get yeah. you get the same amount of a same amount of increase in the standings by a one point win as you do a 60 point win. Right. So that's the one thing that we always harp on is at the end of the year, we're going to be looking back at record. And this is a building block moment for this team before I get into my last negative negative yep. comment, since that was pretty positive. The slow starts um, that kind of hits on what you were talking about. But just just situational coaching decisions, I still have trouble with. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're small things, but you see it on every side. It's like UConn at the end of that game having two timeouts remaining, and there's 12, 11 they seconds. They had three. Yeah, Vanderbilt. No, they had two left. And when Vanderbilt sets up for the, the Joseph Bolivis field goal, no, there's they, 11 They called all three timeouts to ice Bolivis. Yeah, but yeah. This, is, yeah, this is what I'm getting to is there were 11 seconds left, right? Okay, okay. When he set up, why would UConn not take a timeout? to allow time to still remain on the clock and force right. Fandy to at least kick off. So this that's what I'm pointing to and saying this is not just a Clark Lee issue. This is all across the board, and I've seen it happen in NFL games. But at the end of that half, the first thing I want to say is it's not getting talked about enough how that torrential downpour 
greatly kept this game closer than it should have been. Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt's game plan was clearly to get the ball on the outside and utilize their playmakers. And that completely shifted because it was pouring down rain for five minutes and then it was dry. And then it was a torrential downpour for 10 minutes. Then it was sprinkling for an hour. So the rain was brutal there. Did you bring your weather, poncho? Uh, I just, I just gave up. I just, <laughs> you know, you just get one at some point, you're just going to get wet. I'm going to be there for four and a half hours. It. It's, I'm, I'm not going to melt. It wasn't cold. Um, so that affected the game plan. So I want to say all this with, it's hard for me to be as negative as I wanted to be just because I don't think Vanderbilt got to do everything they wanted to do. But at the end of that first half, and this is where I'm going to leave it at, and Vanderbilt fans can agree or disagree here, there are four seconds left. Vanderbilt and UConn is fourth down, mm -hmm. four seconds left. Wet conditions with, an, with a bad UConn team. Why would you not take a remaining timeout with four seconds left and force UConn to punt the ball and make them snap the ball, send 11 guys, go after them? Because if you don't block it and you hit the punter, well, they're going to decline the penalty because they want to get out of the half mm -hmm. because they're, they don't have time. They're going to have one untimed down from the 45 or 50. They can't do much with that. So it's little things like that. When you are an, a, a team that has trouble winning, you have to get every single inch and edge you can get in creative usage of game mm -hmm. strategy. And so far, Clark Lee has coached these games and the staff have coached these games, which has been my gripe with Derek Mason. They've coached like they're Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame. You have to coach like you're Vanderbilt. You have to do what James Franklin did. You have to run the fake field goal with Kerry Spear when other when every other team in the country is gonna is gonna kick the field goal and tie up the game. You have to do those things. And you have to and we haven't seen that from Clark mm -hmm. Lee so far. And that's why I have concerns moving forward, even though I'm happy with the win. I don't think Derek Mason coaches this team to a win, in my mm -hmm. opinion. I just don't I think it's all about this team not giving up and props to those guys because they are in a tough, tough spot. Mm -hmm. And it is so difficult to avoid that outside noise. And I know it had to be creeping up in the back of the minds of those players and Ken Seals that, oh my God, if we lose this game, I'm never going, it's going to be relentless and endless. And I'm, it's going to be difficult. And to block all of that out and Clark Lee being able to allow them to block that out as much as I disagree with some of his strategical decisions, getting this team to the point that they are able to push through that adversity and win games like this Vanderbilt in the past does not win these games. Mm -hmm. And that's just the truth. Their best teams don't win these games. And so to see their probably worst team they've had in years come out and, and win two games out of the first five weeks that a team that could easily be sitting at zero and five is two and three, what he has done has clearly already changed the culture of this team. And it's kind of, it's very impressive, not kind of, that he's been able to do that after his era started with a week one loss to ETSU. It would have been very, very easy for this team to pack it up and say, I'm just going to transfer out after this year. This isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And obviously this staff has built up an energy and a camaraderie, a brotherhood and a family feeling of this team that has made guys not do that and fight and claw for those wins. Even though this season, I mean, this may be the last win we see and react to Billy, mm -hmm. but I think two and 10, with what has happened, I think it's still going to be a very, very disappointing season, but it's not going to feel near as awful because you say we have something to build on. We just need better players in the positions to succeed. Not necessarily better, but better scheme fits for this team because Vanderbilt looks half a step slow for what Clark Lee wants to do. And they look half a step slow against UConn, which means they're probably a step and a half slow against everyone in the SEC. So it, it may be a long year in the next seven game stretch, uh, but but at least we know that this team fights and claws and is going to leave everything they have out on that field. I'll say this too, Will. Um, after after this win, it, realizing that if they were to lose this game, that would have had so much damage, collateral damage to this program, not only recruiting, but I think for Clark Lee's perception and his, and his reputation, not mm -hmm. only in the SEC, but nationally. And I think of all people who should have been relieved, it should have been him. I, you could kind of, you could see a lot of the relief from a lot of you the players. You really could again, a lot like that Colorado state game to where they mm -hmm. don't care who they're playing. If they get a win, they're going to be relieved because they're trying to grow a culture, but will I cannot speak on how important this was for Clark Lee's tenure at Vanderbilt. If he were, if we were to lose to UConn, that would have dramatically defined his career um, and I think no matter what would have happened in year two now, you know, he could have gone if he were to go four and eight in year two that may, you know, temper some of that but even still losing to ETSU and UConn in, in your first season 
really not a good start. And, and so I think that win was big in that regard. But, Will, we didn't even get to some of the stats. Uh, so I, I do want to get some of your reaction on, on some of these numbers. Uh, initially, uh, you look at it, total yards, UConn 523 to Vanderbilt's 439. When you give up 523 total yards to, you know, one of the worst teams at the FBS level, that's definitely pretty shocking. Uh, passing the ball, they were almost even. UConn 331, Vanderbilt 333. Rushing on the ground, UConn not dominated, but they edged out Vanderbilt 192 to 106 in that regard. And, and then penalties, Will. UConn, 12 penalties for 94 yards. That, in a sense, helped Vanderbilt a lot and defined the game in a way because it kind of turned into UConn shooting themselves in the foot and Vanderbilt taking advantage of it. Moving on offensively for Vanderbilt, uh, Will, Ken Seals, 27 of 40, 333 yards, two touchdowns. He did have a big, inter- he did have a big interception, but, um, and I know we, 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 did, we, we had some, you know, we were very picky on his performance, but he still put up 333 yards and led that team down the field and, and, and set up Joe Bulova. So give credit to Ken. Rocco ran, ran solidly, 19 carries, 77 yards. And Patrick Smith looking more and more like uh, Jerron Seymour out there. You know, well, he's only a freshman, six carries, 30 yards uh, for, for that guy. And then Will Shepard, eight catches, 119 yards, two touchdowns. Big day uh, for Will Shepard and the receiving core. Will Chris Pierce, nine catches, 103. And then Body, Devin Body. I know you like what you've seen from him so far, but this receiving core, if they play like that, I know it's UConn, but if they can keep, keep some of this up, keep some of this going, bottle it up, and take that into the swamp, who knows? Um, I know Florida's a lot different team than UConn, but um, if that receiving group can, can you know, do more of what they did against UConn and produce in that manner, uh, you could see a lot better things happen at Will. Hey, it felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities in Clark Lee. The first question he was asked at the press conference was about what clicked with this offense, and you could kind of see he was a little bit taken aback. Because when you just look at the box score, that is the question you would ask. You'd say, what clicked? What, what was so good with this offense in this game? But when you really watched that game, the offense didn't, didn't execute well. UConn's defense is really just that bad. And there were a lot of times where, and Clark Lee kept saying in his press conference when he's asked this question, he kept talking about meat on the bone or on the field. Mm-hmm. And he kept, there's a lot of missed opportunities. And I think yep. they're very aware of that. Um, but on that last drive, there was a questionable pass interference call. And I want to address this because we haven't talked about a couple things, which is A, there were there was that penalty uh, that definitely helped Vanderbilt's chances. And to that, I want to say Vanderbilt, I would say 95% of the time has been on the opposite end of that, that call. call, does not get that call, and they have not ever gotten that call. And it honestly, most of the time, goes the opposite direction. So mm-hmm. I don't care. May have not been a good call, but I truly don't give a shit. All did right, because... We are Vanderbilt that? fans, and that is that has never happened to us that we are benefited from a call, and that was my fandom coming out. And B, I want to get your thoughts <laughs> on this. Before we get into the calls, Billy, is their quarterback getting injured in the first beginning Passive. of that game is why Vanderbilt won. And UConn gave this game to Vanderbilt. They missed a 22-yard field goal. They didn't convert a wide-open two-point conversion at the end of that game in the fourth quarter that would have made it 30-27. to and Joseph Bolivis' kick would have just sent it to overtime. Their starting quarterback got hurt. Vanderbilt benefited mm. from penalties. Yes, Vanderbilt won the game, and it is props to them. I don't want to take away from that last drive from Seals and how, many, how much guts that took and the heart of the team. But Vanderbilt didn't win this game. UConn lost this game. We say that. We've said that a lot in the past about Vanderbilt, not that Vanderbilt didn't lose, or Vanderbilt yeah. did lose this game. Their opponent didn't beat them. Vanderbilt beat themselves. UConn beat themselves, including the 15-yard personal foul on the uh, fair catch that would have brought the touch back to the 25 for Vanderbilt to start that drive with a minute seven. Well, UConn gets a stupid personal foul penalty. Now Vanderbilt starts on the 40-yard line. So there were things like that throughout the game that benefited Vanderbilt greatly. So as positive as it is that they got this win scratched and clawed, there were a lot of things that broke right, and I wanted to say the thing about the weather because I haven't heard anybody talk about it. I wanted to say about UConn starting quarterback getting hurt. I've heard no one talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then that pass interference call yeah. that benefited the Commodores and Chris Pierce. Nobody's been talking about that. So, and Billy, I, want, uh, yeah, I wanted right to say there. I wanted to say how – did you see Nicole Auerbach's tweet? She said, Vandy home cooking. I think it was right after that pass interference call, and it was so unreal to to see that in a tweet. I, I like, said I don't. I think it's the first time I've ever heard that. When, yeah, I don't think Vanderbilt ever gets any of the good old home no, cooking. No, it was crazy to see that because you know they're playing UConn. I mean, they're playing <laughs> Connecticut. 
And to see that from someone, I was just taken aback. I didn't even know what she was referring to uh, in all the quote tweets. Give credit to Vandy Twitter, though, too, by the way. This football season, they have been everywhere. It's um, active. It's, it's, it's definitely active. <laughs> they've been more active than I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that means they're, they're, they want to be invested. And I think that's a kind of a small message to like, okay, they they want they want to be good at football they, they, and billy they really you aren't there that that hits on the same thing being more active the crowd was not good i don't want to say compared to other sec teams that it's good i'll say but that, that crowd was not embarrassing i was there that it crowd was pouring was down rain than i thought it would be and it was let me tell you it was pouring down rain and any crowd shots they gave it was about to start raining at the start of the game and the full amount of people was actually there and it started pouring down about two minutes at, or right after kickoff and people streamed to the exits like acid rain was about was coming down and the crowd never even got back up to 60% the capacity that it was at the start of the game. And that was, I posted on Twitter, the shot of the yeah. crowd that was after the rain. So there were more people okay. than that at the beginning. So I was kind of impressed. So good job, Commodore fans. I'm not saying it was good, but it was above my expectations, which that game easily could have been under 8,000 people yeah. in there. And there and was I- certainly more than that. There were probably 40 UConn fans there. Like, they didn't help that crowd. I saw one UConn fan the entire game. (laughs) I walked around the state. I saw one. It was this – every FCS opponent Vanderbilt has ever played has had triple the number of fans that UConn had there. It was actually pretty amazing. It was even below. I thought there would at least be a couple hundred. There were not a couple hundred. If you're a UConn fan, do you come down for this game, though? Like, what what motivation is there? You don't have any, I mean, it didn't shock me that there were not (laughs) a lot, but it was, but I mean, even Vanderbilt and damn Colorado had a couple hundred there. Like it was pretty shocking. The lack of, lack of, uh, Connecticut yeah. fans. We love talking about the crowds here on the Doorport, and uh, absolutely love I'll be, it. I'll love be interested. <laughs> I'll be interested to see the crowd down in Gainesville for uh, a Florida fan base that's probably really pissed off at at at, uh, at their program. So, well, I think that's it for the game, though. Unless you have anything else, I really wanted to hit on uh, you know what it means in that locker room, and and you know we just got to the stats, uh, you know defensively. The, the pick from Judy Lolly can't be talked about enough. Ethan Barr led the team with nine tackles. Jerkins was in on a few as well. Mahoney's still playing well uh, also. And as, be- as as tough as it is to to say this defense has played well, um, I really think as a whole, Clark's trying he, – he's doing his best to get every ounce of, of talent and effort from that group. And, and I know it's, it's hard to say that. Um, but I, you, there's, you, I always you, say, Billy, right there, the difference is – playing well versus executing what the coaches in the spots they want to be. And I think the defense is in the spots they, that the coaches wanted to be. I just, and it's tough plays. It's tough plays. They're just not making. I'm with you there. And, and, you know, when you see kind of an outside run to the edge, it's Ethan Barr. He's, he's there, but he lets the guy get maybe another five, six, seven yards because he's not quite, you know, Mr. Zach Cunningham or, or, Dimitri, yeah, or Dimitri Moore, you know, and, and that's a lot about Clark getting his guys. Maybe you get Langston Patterson in there and he, he, that's a TFL, you know, who, who knows? Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll, we'll see about that, but uh, that, that's pretty much it. That was a big recap. Um, and, and it should have been because there was a lot of meat on the bone in that, in that game uh, and a lot of meat left out there by Vanderbilt mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that we, we touched on as well, but we'll real quick here. I want to get your take on Florida being a 38 point favorite over Vanderbilt. For me, I'm not surprised by it, even though historically Vandy has shown some respectability against Florida. Like we've seen some pretty decent games between Vandy and Florida over the years. Uh, I think this year's a different story. Uh, I, I still think this is a game for Florida to regain some of their confidence in quote, get their swagger back uh, because they'll no doubt, no doubt in my mind, they'll be playing pissed off against Vanderbilt and after losing to Kentucky. Um, so I'm not really surprised by it. The line didn't surprise me. I think it opened up at a 35-point line and immediately money flooded in on Florida. And I think at some point it had almost gone up to 39 points, but I think that's probably where it about where it's going to settle. Um, I personally have to not put money on Vanderbilt because I look at that number of points and I'm like, this Florida team's good. It's They're not Georgia good. And, and that is the thing that – if Vanderbilt comes out and gets beat 62 nothing to Florida, I'm going to be pretty disappointed because I expect them to come out and get dominated, and we will cover this a lot more in our preview podcast more towards mm-hmm. the end of the week. But there's a big difference between the Georgia and Alabama level in the SEC and then the notch down, which is this year the Florida, traditionally LSU-Auburn, not necessarily mm-hmm. this season, but level of teams. Then you get to the middle of the pack. So this Florida team is in that second tier 
and you shouldn't lose 62 to nothing. No. So that'll be a lot of where the preview is headed, and I think this line is probably right where it should be. I think if, Vander, if Florida were to beat Kentucky handily last week, I, my opinion would be a little bit different because I still think Florida would win. I think Vanderbilt might have a good, better chance to cover uh, because of the fact that Florida isn't coming in as pissed off. Now, so here we I, go. I, I go in the opposite because I think this this is a letdown game. You, I mean, you're supposed to handily beat or at least beat Kentucky, dominate Vanderbilt, building up momentum. Well, now you haven't beaten Kentucky, and you're kind of sitting there. We have much tougher games left remaining on the schedule. This is kind of our season's kind of in the, in the toilet at this point. Mm-hmm. Now we have Vanderbilt. Here we go. We're going to come out and beat them. And so I think so that could – I'm thinking not a letdown in that Vanderbilt upsets them. I don't believe that that, but we'll get into this. I don't want to give a prediction or anything, but I can We're see – We're basically previewing Florida now. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe Vanderbilt can come out and possibly not have a slow start. And, and that would be a huge, huge change because in every single game, Vanderbilt has come out and just looked sloppy and unprepared and then gotten into kind of a rhythm – maybe kind of in every game, but ETSU and Georgia, three out of the five. So I want to see a quick start. And I think maybe they'll have that opportunity with a Florida team coming off a game that they lost that they probably didn't feel like they should lose. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. And and we're not going to get too much into the Florida preview. (laughs) We'll save that for Friday. Uh, It might be a two-hour episode. But, well, that's about it. Vanderbilt, again, they get it done over UConn, 30-28 behind the leg of Big Leg Joe. And how about Clark Lee after the game? They showed their mini three-minute revealed that, again, we're not fans of, uh, but we'll take it, I guess. Uh, And Clark was just after the game. That was the first time I had seen him embrace the Big Leg Joe quote. And he was like, he, he called Joe over. He said, Big leg Joe does it again. And, and, you know, that's just the players love it. I mean, players love it. And so I think Clark is starting to show us more of his personality. So hopefully we'll see more of that. But, uh, well, that does it. This is episode 112 of the Doorboard, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Before we conclude today's episode of the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors, let's send it over to Gary Scales for a few words on our awesome presenting sponsor. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Well, that does it for episode 112 of The Door Report. We are always powered by the great folks at Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Vanderbilt finds a way to squeak past UConn. Final score, 30-28. to 28. We discussed our three main takeaways, some positives, some negatives. But in the end, Big Leg Joe gets it done again for the Commodores. Up next, the Florida Gators in the Swamp on Saturday afternoon. We've got all that and much more coming up next week. But for myself, Billy Derrick, and Will Byram, you've been listening to Episode 112 of The Door Report. Powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.